Fix your eyes on Jesus. This is what the writer of the book of Hebrews says we should do as followers of Christ. But too often we can fall into the trap of thinking that we start with Jesus and then move on to deeper things in the Christian life. Today's bonus audio is a recent message given by Cecil Bean on the five greatest teachings of Christ. Cecil has not only been a mentor of mine, he's been the greatest champion I know of a life spent focused on Christ. Hope this audio challenges and encourages you. Give it a listen, share it with a friend, and then tell us what you think on Facebook or by email. I was uh, speaking to uh, soldiers, whatever, in a non-Christian environment, and uh, I would probably preach uh, what Paul preached. I would go into the gospel. The gospel is not Christianity, but it's the beginning of Christianity. And uh, I would probably do something a little different. Uh, uh, We often will extract the gospel out of, uh, you know, just believing in Christ, uh, praying the prayer. Uh, That's what I did when I became a Christian. Kneel down, ask Christ to come into your life, and uh, believe that he did. Paul was a little bit more stringent than that, than just merely mouthing something. When Paul shared the gospel, he uh, told Agrippa, in Acts 26, how he did it. And uh, he told Agrippa that he went to Damascus, Jerusalem, Judea, and then to the Gentiles. And this, this is what he told Agrippa that he told non-Christians. That they should repent. They should turn to God. And notice this, do works befitting of repentance. Can you imagine if we required that it might thin out our converts just a little bit. But uh, I won't be doing that this morning. If I was in a church, I might very well uh, preach the law of Moses. I think that's what Paul was writing about. I think that's what Jesus was preaching in a in a, uh, an upper fashion. But I would probably put a little bit more bite to it, maybe, than some churches, maybe not all. And I would, uh, I would talk about uh, once you are a believer, the law of Moses, which God told us in Malachi 4.4 that we should not forget the law of Moses, that God gave him on Mount Horeb, which was basically the Ten Commandments. And so if I preach to a church, I think I would preach Moses and I would say that if you obey God, He will bless you. But I would add something that the law of Moses added very clearly as well. But if you disobey God, He will actually curse you. And that sounds foreign maybe to some ears, but that is the law of Moses. When you read uh, Deuteronomy 28, you will hear it clearly. The passage that I uh, I would probably, I'm almost sure I would mention to the church congregation. Uh, God told them in Numbers 33, 55, if you do not drive out the inhabitants from the land before you, then it shall be that those who remain shall be irritants in your eyes and thorns in your sides. They shall harass you in the land you dwell. Moreover, it shall be that I will do to you as I thought to do to them. So one of the things I would would want believers to really capture 
is that uh, there needs to be a healthy fear that it isn't going to just be peaches and cream. It will be peaches and cream if you obey, but you better believe God will come at you as a believer if you don't obey. Now that sounds kind of dark, but boy, that is the law of Moses. But I'm not going to preach the law of Moses uh, this morning. I want to go to the next echelon. I want to preach the law of Christ. Christianity is all over the map. They're, they're, they're trying to figure out what truth is. You've got some churches that are so loosey-goosey that you can get away with murder and be in good standing. Then you've got some churches that are so strict uh, that, that you almost have to earn your salvation through obedience. We are all over the map. If, uh, if you want to understand Christianity, you've got to understand Christ. If you don't understand Christ, you cannot understand Christianity. And what Paul was doing was, was laying the foundation for Christianity. What Moses was doing was establishing discipleship. What Jesus was doing was building upon discipleship. So as I preach this third category, uh, don't, don't uh, disbelieve that I don't value the first two. And some of you may be in that first category. Some of you may be in the second. Some of you may be ready for the third. So like I said, I'm going to, I could do a third of each, but I'm going to primarily focus on the third because y'all are navigators. Y'all have, have joined in order to try to figure out how to be used by God. And that's what a navigator's objective is. In John 18, Pilate asked Jesus, uh, Are you the king? Are you a king? And Jesus said, I am. But not of this world. Otherwise, my followers would fight for me. Jesus said something that uh, uh, I think is germane in understanding what he has come to do in this third category. He said in uh, John 18, 37, I've come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. That's what his objective is. So if you want to know truth, you're going to have to know what he brought into the world. And that's why he said in John 8.31, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. So if we want to know what this truth is, we've got to have a good, clear understanding of Christ. In John 14.6, he, he said that I am the way, the truth, and the life. So what is this truth that Jesus brought to the table? In John 1.17, John the Baptist was describing what Jesus had come to do. And he said that, that uh, the law was given through Moses. This is not what Jesus came to do. He came to practice the law, preach the law, but he came to do something different. He said that grace and truth came through Christ. And so whatever grace and truth is, it's different than the law. Grace is basically what God has done for you. When you Google grace, 
it's going to be it's going to be primarily built around uh, Christ's death for you and His sacrifice on your behalf, and that you can be made right with God through the blood of the Messiah. That's something God does, not us. But truth is something we need to be following. Truth is, uh, and I'm going to uh, move a little further into this, truth is following what Christ taught. God's part, our part. When you study the life of Christ, did He primarily put the responsibility on uh, did he talk about what God has done for us? Or did he talk about what we're supposed to be doing for God? I want to get into this pretty soon. When I was a young believer, I read a book called uh, In His Steps by Charles Shelton. This book really impacted my life. One of the, the, one of the, the most impacting books that I read as a young believer. And, and many of y'all will know, you've seen the bracelets, What Would Jesus Do? This young group of believers uh, within the church was disgusted with what they saw. And so they made a pact with one another that, that before they made any decisions, they would uh, first ask the question, what would Jesus do in this situation? And I remember I liked that. I liked uh, that, that approach. But the older I got, the more flies I saw in that anointment in that ointment. That if we asked the question, what would Jesus do? We basically relegated what Jesus is to what we think he is. And I thought, there's a great danger in that. I think the bracelet should be what did Jesus do, not what he do. And now we get to follow his example and not what we think he would do if he was us. So there's a great danger in that even though it motivated me as a young believer, I've since changed my direction. I want to know, what did he do? Jesus said in Matthew 23, 8 and 9, you only have one teacher. That's the Christ. Then he said, you only have one Lord. That's the Christ. And so I think that following Christ is what Christianity is all about. John the Baptist in John 3.34 said that Jesus was the only one who was given the Spirit without measure. All of us has, has been given the Spirit in measure. If I'm a prophet and I'm speaking as a prophet, guess which may, way my speaking might lean toward? toward, toward uh, some potency, would you say? What if I've got the gift of mercy? and I begin to preach. What might my flavoring be? So you can't trust people. You can only trust the one who's been given the Spirit without measure. And so everybody we listen to or every person we read about has got to be ran through this, this wake of Jesus' teachings. If you don't understand Jesus, you can't understand Christianity. That doesn't mean that you can't become a Christian. That doesn't mean that, that uh, you know, uh, God doesn't love you. It means that you won't see truth as clearly as you need to see truth. Jesus taught 
five great principles. I think the five greatest. Your job is to go in there and, and study Christ and see if you would agree with whether I have the top five or, or any portion of the top five. That's your job. That's my job is to try to figure out what I think the, the, the primary teaching. If you're going to listen to an instructor in college uh, and he's going to give you notes on the book, do you think you're going to get a better grade by studying the notes of the teacher or reading the book? You need to, uh, rather, you don't want to get lost in the Bible. You want to get lost in the author of the Bible, which is found in four books, actually one book repeated four times. And so this thing is not undoable. All we have to understand is what was this teaching of God incarnate? What was this teaching? And so uh, I read the Old Testament every morning. I was reading... Uh, Finishing up Proverbs right now. I'm reading Proverbs. I I, I started uh, Philemon uh, this morning, uh, but I also read a gospel uh, chapter, and I realized that this is inspired. This is inspired. This is the author of the inspiration, and so I, everything in my mind runs through this person. And so, as a result, when this person begins to uh, remember what John said in John 21, if everything that was written about Christ was recorded, it would fill the whole world. Not the libraries, which I would have probably said. The whole world is what John said. And so, uh, if he spoke that much, and these four guys shrunk it down to four books... Uh, they had to leave a whole lot out. And so, uh, and so uh, surely they got the majors in there. And so as I read these four books, I want to figure out what is extra important to Christ. And if I want to know anything in the Bible, I want to know these five things. The one that I think is the most important, and I'll let you, as you read the Gospel, you decide is when in Matthew 22, someone asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment of all? And uh, Jesus answered him. And he said, you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the greatest commandment. Now, when you go to examine Christ, there's a problem. Paul identifies this problem in Colossians 2.3. Paul said in Colossians 2.3 that in Christ is hidden... All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It's hidden. Uh, why would he do that? Why would he hide? Why wouldn't he want to make clear? Why would he hide this stuff? Matthew 13, 35 uh, is a, a messianic psalm that says when Christ comes, he will reveal truth that has been hidden from the foundation of the world. Matthew 13, 35. So if you want to understand this hidden stuff, you've got to understand Christ. Moses is trying to make the law clear. Paul is trying to make his letters clear. Christ is speaking in parables. If you want to understand Christ, 
it's going to have to, you have to have a concerted effort. And so when you examine this first command, you're to love God with all your heart, soul. Notice that you are to love God. So should our preaching be mostly what God has done for us? Or should our preaching be mostly what we're supposed to be doing to God? And had God used the word, if we're to phileo God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, I think the word phileo means, the word phileo means tender affections. And if, if, uh, if that was the word that was used, then I think worship could very well be the hidden key there. But the word was agape. The, the, the word agape means the demonstrable love. You can't know it without demonstration. And so God wants me to demonstrate my love to Him, which fits Acts 26, which fits what John the Baptist said when he came in John 3, uh, that if you're not willing to show uh, your repentance, hit the road, John 3. And so I... Uh, so the, the thought that might cross your mind, does this mean that you're saying that God doesn't love me? Well, no. No, I don't mean to say that at all. I just mean to say that's not the great commandment. The great commandment is me loving God. So we need to be built upon the foundation of God loving us. There's no doubt about that. That the, the fact that He would die for me and, and uh, through this grace is essential for my understanding. But where should my focus be? On rehearsing this or doing this? So uh, I, I like in Mark 12, 34 is a different rendition of this man asking Jesus what the great commandment was. And Jesus said, you're to love the Lord with heart, soul, mind, and strength. And this guy said, I agree with you. John, uh, Mark 12, 30. I agree with you. And he repeats to Jesus, we're to love God with all our hearts, uh, you know, and, then, and, uh, and, and, your and our neighbors yourself. I loved uh, Mark 12, 34. Jesus said, if you understand this, you're not far from the kingdom of God. Well, there's a second one that, that uh, I, I consider very important, and I just kind of introduced it in Mark 12. Jesus was not willing to give the, the greatest commandment in singular form. He was not willing to do that. The guy only asked him for one, not, not 30. Uh, Jesus gave him two. And he said, these two are like one another. And on this second one, you're well aware of that you're to love your neighbors yourself. Upon these two hinge all the law and the prophets. Mark seven, uh, Matthew seven twelve. On these two hinge all the law and the prophets. Not one. And uh, so, if you don't understand this second one, you'll only have half the picture. First part of the picture is I'm to demonstrate my love for God, which is what Paul said in Acts 26, what John said in John 3. Uh, but I'm also to treat people the way I want to be treated. If you don't do, Jesus said said that if they won't obey the law of Moses, 
they won't obey someone who rose from the dead. If you won't obey your conscience, you won't obey the law of Moses. And so uh, this second commandment is absolutely essential. And Jesus says in Matthew 7, 12, he, 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 when asked the great commandment, he reaches into Deuteronomy 6 and uh, pulls out something that we probably all agree with, although we may see it differently. In the summary commandment, he reaches into Leviticus 19 and he picks one passage out that's repeated one time in all the law of Moses. Leviticus 19.18. Or is it 18.19? One of those two. He pulls it out and he says, this summarizes everything that Moses is, uh, has been teaching. Wow, what is that summary? Treat people the way you want to be treated. You don't do that, you, you can't go to that, you can't go to Christianity. Remember, the law of Moses is different than Christianity. You don't do the law of Moses, you're dead in the water. If you can't treat people the way you want to be treated. So that's my second one. Boy, I'm, I, I want to understand these two. And my third one, in, in my ranking, and you must do your own, is he, Jesus says, I want to give you one new commandment. It's 1918. <laughs> I want to give you one new commandment. Okay, I, one new commandment. Out of all the old command, all, all the commandments of the Bible, I'm going to add one to it. Boy, we better know what this one is. He's going to add this thing to it. You're not going to understand Christianity if you don't understand what he's teaching. And he says, now, not only do you demonstrate your love for God, two, you treat people the way you want to be treated. Three, now you treat people the way I've treated you. So if you're going to know how Christ treated them, you're going to have to understand the Gospels. And where He's coming from and why He's going to where He's going. So what is this? Treat people the way He... Well, read it. It's really not that complicated. Read it. How did He treat the twelve? That's what He wants us to do to each other. Jesus said in John 14, 12, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. I like what he said in John 13, 15. I've given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. So, uh, clear picture. Christianity is about Christ. But it's built upon what Paul was doing, what Moses was doing. Those can't be eliminated. In fact, you can't make it to the third floor until you go through the first two floors. Then there's a, uh, a fourth one that in, in my rankings is... Uh, Jesus told him before he died, I'll meet you in Galilee. And then when Mary when uh, Mary goes to the tomb and she finds this person sitting on the tomb and she says, uh, show me where he is. 
so I can retrieve you. And uh, uh, he says, uh, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Didn't he tell you he would rise? And he said, and he'll meet you in Galilee. And I, I like what he said. He said, there, I told you. I, I, I love that little expression. I have a message for you. There, I've told you. He's going to meet you in Galilee, just like he said he was going to do. He's going to meet you in Galilee. Well, that, I don't know how well that registered, because then she found what she thought was the gardener that was actually Christ. And, uh, of course, she uh, he had two things to say to her. One, don't cling to me. Two, go tell my disciples I'll meet them in Galilee. And so, whatever he has to say at Galilee must be pretty important. So, when you go to Galilee with him in Matthew 28, he has three things to say to him. Three verses. One of them is, all authority and power has been given to me. So, what he's about to say in these next two verses is, uh, is their marching orders. So, to me, this is really important to understand these marching orders so I don't get cogged up in, in good works or many good things to do that's, that can lead me all over the map. I want to know what these two verses say. And the first one is, I want you to go into all the nations now. So if you're a Jew, that's going to kind of set you back a little bit because there was no dealings with the Gentiles and the Jews. You were to walk on the other side of the street. You had nothing to do with them. And so, for a Jew to, uh, to to accept Gentiles into the body is like is like accept, accepting uh, Harry Krishnas or uh, Mormons or no, surely that's not right. You know, uh, remember when when Jesus sits down to the uh, unclean animals before Peter, kill and eat. Uh, I can't do that. Nothing unclean is ever in my mouth. If I've cleaned it, you can eat it. So now God has decided to move from a theocracy. He's going to move into a democracy, a, uh, a dictator, whatever. He's going to move into a different form of government. And now uh, you, uh, he's going to develop a church that's going to be splintered with Jews, Gentiles, blacks, whites, uh, liberals and conservatives, as long as they're following Christ, be a liberal or a conservative. Each has truth that needs to be added to the mix, but both need to be run through the person of Christ. So uh, he tells them that uh, it's going beyond a nation. It's going into the world. And, and when the book of Acts was, was recorded for this purpose, is to try to show how this was true. And so uh, that's why the Jews were very difficult. To, uh, Paul had a problem with them because they had a, a, a difficulty absorbing this. Even though Jesus said it, they had a difficulty absorbing it. Paul, one of his three problems in the, new, in the church was Judaizers because they just couldn't get over it. Then he told them the second thing. Uh, now, back to the first thing. When you go into the nations, you're going to have to introduce people to Christ. And like I said earlier, uh, 
It isn't praying a prayer. It's demonstrating through repentance. Paul said it in 2 Corinthians 5.17. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation. Old things are passed away. Can you imagine if the church was built around people whose lives had changed? It would be We would have so few terrors. Right now, the, 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 the tail wags the dog. We've got so many tears in our church because we're not preaching the gospel the way Paul did. We're extracting the, the, the Philippian jailer who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and you. We're, 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 we're misusing uh, the truth of what the gospel really is. Acts 26. And then uh, he says, I want you to make disciples. One of the nations, make disciples. And the book that they had was the Law of Moses. There were no gospel, there's no New Testament writings. It was the Law of Moses. It's as valid today as it was back then. That's why he said in Malachi 4 4, don't forget it. But it's a phase and not an end product, if you follow me in that. It's a phase. You have to become a disciple of Moses before you can become a disciple of Christ. Because, and I'm going to get in this, Christ did something different. And I want a finale with this. The third thing he said is now, now that you've shared the gospel, now that you're teaching what Moses taught you, now teach him what I taught you, which is going to be truth. Moses taught him the law, truth. And so now they were going to begin to go in and, okay, what did he teach them? What Take away evangelism from Jesus. Take away discipleship from Jesus. What's left? And when you, when, when you see what's left, you'll know what Jesus left gave to them. And it's quite simple. Quite simple. Jesus picked 12 men who were trainable. I didn't pick men who were not trainable. He doesn't pick men who are far lost or, or baby Christians or growing in discipleships to train. Not that someday they might, they will be, be there, but he didn't pick them there. He picked some of the healthiest men he could find. These men were, were having been trained by John the Baptist. These men were hungry for the Messiah. Uh, these men were good men. You can't train men who are not at that level. And so what Jesus brought to the table, and many of you may not be at this at this level right now. You can't do what Jesus did until you become where Jesus is. Was. So uh, uh, so what he did was he he became a disciple maker at thirty. He launches, we'll call him a ten. Out of out of uh, numbers, he became a ten, and he began to. He didn't pick minus tens. He picked fives. Men who are uh, obedient. He trains the five. He preaches to the church, the, the synagogues. So while we're fives, we can only help fours and threes and below, <coughs> and should. But once we become a 10, once we get where spiritual 30 is, where we can become a rabbi, so to speak, now we, now we need to add to 
our discipleship program, our Bible studies were leading to train somebody. And I like what Jen said about the where's your one? Where's your one? And so now you begin to, uh, of course, you can practice on this early on. When you're a five helping a four, you're, you're, you're practicing. Once you get to where you're a ten, and ten doesn't mean perfect. In John 13, 1, Jesus said, my job is done. I finished training these men. And now 13 through 17 is the commissioning. I finished training these men. And now these men are go out and they're to do what Jesus told, uh, what Jesus did to them. And they're to begin to look for 11 good men, one at a time. And if they all do that, that's what's going to happen. They're going to turn the world upside down, which is what Acts said they did. But once we lose this focus on Christ, uh, Jesus is going to come back to you as He did in Revelation 2 and 3 and says, I'm not happy with what I see. You've left your first law. And once you leave that, now you've, you've truncated your ministry to evangelism and discipleship. And no longer are you reproducing reproducers. When you don't reproduce reproducers, you end up with a sheep-shepherd mentality. When you reproduce your reproducers, now you create a multiplication. The fifth one that is important to me. Jesus gave somewhere between 30 and 40 parables. There's different numbers out there based on what the story, you know. Uh, between 30 and 40. But one of these parables that he gave in Mark 4, Luke 8, and Matthew 13, all three of these guys picked this up, was the parable of four swords. And in, the, in, in these parables, he said, if you don't understand this parable, how can you understand any of the parables? I won't understand this parable. And what it was going to do, and I'm, I'm trying to uh, shorten my talk uh, here and there, I was going to walk through these four parables on how where my life was during these times. I, some people look at the parables this way, that you know, Christianity is above the first two, or you know, depending on where you put your life. It could have been this way, that each one of us go through all four of the soils. Of course, one of the soils is the seed falls onto your, uh, your life and you do nothing with it. And I can remember in my own life that there was a period of time uh, maybe through ignorance, maybe through uncommitment, that the, the seed just laid on my life, and it, it couldn't it couldn't enter. And then uh, I remember the day that it entered. I remember I got in trouble. I'd been a Christian. I, I'd been uh, been around a Christian for about uh, 16 months, and he'd been sharing the gospel with me. And one day, I got in trouble. God broke my soil. And when God breaks your soil, the seed has a chance to, to fall into it. God got my attention. And and the soil took, and the, the seed took root in my life. And so I was with this guy in the army circle store for eight months. And I grew like a weed. I shot up. But I was limited to what I understood. I was limited to uh, the price that God expected from me. 
And I remember I uh, began to, to uh, struggle with, uh, with commitment. And then I, without getting into too much of my testimony, I can remember going prodigal. I remember uh, uh, running from God. Uh, when I was, uh, uh, when I went in the military, I was pretty much uh, at 19, at 23, I was pretty much defeated. And uh, I, I was uh, trying to get God off my back. And uh, I met an, unfortunately, I met an enemy. And uh, at Fort Knox, Kentucky. And God began to uh, rekindle my earlier love. I'd like to take 34 minutes and tell you my story, but uh, Johnny get mad at me. So uh, I, I think what God was after is to try, and, and the third soil is not getting entangled with issues. And he's, he's out after to get you to his fourth soil so that now he can begin to do through you what he did through Christ. Simply raising up good men. And once you move into this territory of raising up good men, you see that that's your responsibility in following Christ. Uh, you'll never be depressed again for the rest of your life. Podcast family, thanks for listening. If you haven't already, head over to iTunes and subscribe. And if you're already subscribed, please take a minute to leave us a review. It goes a long way to helping others find us. If you like what we're doing, drop us a line and let us know. Share it with a friend. In an age of technology, your word of mouth is still the most powerful way to spread the message.